Good morning, church. Happy Sabbath. How many of you like history when you were in in school? (laughs) I don't know. I used not to like it because I thought, you know, I, I might blame it on the teacher. She could not get my attention. But I said, you know, who cares what happened? 500 years ago, just to memorize some dates and some events. But uh, after I became a Christian and I started reading, uh, I, I like and I love history because uh, it showed the battle between good and evil. And uh, we see there how God worked to protect and uh, kind of uh, restrain evil to take over the world. And you like it or not, we live and make history. Sometimes you don't think, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's everyday life will be history. Uh, what's past will become history. And I'm thinking about us, what can we learn from history? I think one thing we can learn is that uh, ideas have consequences. And first, they are just ideas, but once they are accepted by people, they will be acted upon and they will have consequences. And history teaches us that the wrong ideas have very bad consequences. And uh, I will say it's easy and better to resist those bad ideas before they are accepted, because once they are accepted, it's hard to stop the track. One event in history that caused lots of death and trouble was the Second World War. And you know, before Hitler came to power, of course, he was presenting his ideas. And he, you know, he talked about the nation, uh, the Jewish people causing the trouble and and many people listen to him, oh, this is, uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not uh, in his proper mind and did not take him serious. But he was propagating his ideas and got uh, that. And when he got the power, it was too late to stop him. And we know the result of what happened. There were a few people from, I think, uh, I don't know, percentage, I think one-third of the Jewish people that took him serious. And they say, hey, this guy is, uh, you know, dangerous. And uh, they left Germany and escaped to other countries, and they did not go through the trouble of the Holocaust. So for me, I'm trying to look at today's ideas that in, in, the, in the world out there and how they will affect us in the near future. And basically it shows us how the prophecy will be fulfilled and how at the end time all that want to live faithful to God will suffer persecution. And now looking into the world we see now certain ideas that I think will trigger us to be looked upon the troublemaker of the world. This year there were two main events that kind of shaped history. Some people say about 6-1, I mean 1-6, January 6th, when they say there was an insurrection when they tried to take overtake the Congress. And uh, 
We saw lots of videos about what happened. The only thing is, for me, it's uh, looking at the way the things are presented, it reminds me of Romania living in communism. You know, we saw reality in everyday life, and then on the TV they try to tell us how beautiful things are and how blessed we are to have a leader that it's all-knowing and all good and stuff, when actually you had to stay in line two hours or three hours just to buy bread, if you were lucky enough. And so now I distrust the media when I see that they present the reality in a different way. And when you hear the narrative and you look at the videos, you have to either believe your eyes or ask, maybe those ideas are not that. They're talking about and describe those events and make that it was a historic event, that it was like 9-11. And they are talking about those people that enter in there being domestic terrorists that try to overtake the government and change it and put a different government. The only thing when I look at the videos, I don't see that much terror. <laughs> the only thing I see, I see some congressmen hiding the, under their chairs and running. And I said, well, maybe this is the judgment day when people will be called to give an you know, account of what they did. And that's why they are so scared. But they were talking about they want to plan to overtake the government and change it and put a different government. But they don't really have that much to show for because, honestly, you, you know, they had the video of a guy <laughs> walking around with the pulpit of the Speaker of the House. And what do you think? This guy was thinking, oh, I take the pulpit and I'll become the Speaker of the House or what? But uh, the idea is the government propagates that idea. And, of course, they had a show of force when they bring the military, 26,000 soldiers that were there so-called to prevent something. And I was thinking, how come that not many people are speaking about that? You know, there was a time when they were saying, you don't use military against your own people. But you have to have the narrative of, uh, of course, they call it insurrection. That's what those protest, protesters try to do, and that kind of justified the use of military. But in a way, there was not really a, you know, a danger that to bring the military. But the government has just flexed their muscle to show who's in charge and try to scare the people into obeying them kind of blindly about all that they rule and not speak against because you will be labeled domestic terrorists. And of course, those domestic terrorists have to be locked up or try to re-educate them. And of course, we had the change, the second historical event this week, uh, the 20th, when we had the change of power from one administration to another. And uh, I watched the news. It, I, I did not watch the news for years, but now I decide just to watch and see what's happening and what they say. And again, it remember me of Romania. Everybody, I mean, most of the people praising everything that is happening. And I said, it's nice. 
But then I try to look, and I even listen to the, uh, you know, part of the, what the president was talking. And one of the things that he said in his speech was, he will have a war against the domestic terrorists, the white supremacists, and other extremist groups that are here among, among uh, America. And they work upon, and the Congress is still, is now drafting legislation to prevent so-called domestic terrorists. And I talked with a friend of mine this week, and I said, what do you think? Did you watch the speech? Oh, it was a great speech. What do you think about it? He asked me, I said, it was okay, a good message about unity, but it was something that troubled me, because he said something about a war on domestic terrorists. And when you try to see who are the domestic terrorists, I said, there's a list there about certain group of people, and I might be in at least two or three of those groups. And I don't like that. On the list of those potential domestic terrorists that have to be watched, and they want to create police, and you know, uh, they talk about the religious fanatics. Those are one of the dangerous people. And of course, if you, t if you go more deeper, those religious fanatics are so-called Christian fundamentalists. If you take your religious serious and you won't bend because you are convinced of something, they consider you a fanatic. If you don't use alcohol because it's not good for you and you won't bend on that, oh, this is extremist. If you believe you shouldn't do certain things because of religious belief, it's fundamentalist. If you believe the world was created in six days and all those science theories and that contradict that, they think, oh, you are against science and you are, and you are dangerous. Also, they talk about the white supremacist. And almost by default, you are a white person <laughs> you suffer of that uh, super white supremacy uh, dilemma. And the third thing they were, I mean, third thing that I might be under, they talked about the libertarians being dangerous. And I'm kind of tending toward libertarian because I'm a Christian, because, and the Bible says where the spirit of Christ is, there is liberty. And so I'm, I'm for liberty. And I know something, you know, uh, what the libertarian believe is close to what the Bible believe. And that's the kind of, uh, the belief in the limited government and the government should have their own place but should not control our life and mingle because everything that government, or almost everything that government touches is corrupt and abused and uh, if you look in the history, the most crimes were committed by governments. And the Americans knew that because they came here and established America. And one of the things that kept America great was the Constitution, especially the Bill of Rights. But if you look at the Constitution, now it's just a piece of paper that almost nobody obeys it and believes it. 
even the people that swear that they will uphold it and apply it. And we know, I will talk today about how people are manipulated because of fear induced by certain people or governments. And uh, when, the cut, when the people in power wants to abuse the power, they scare the people or they use certain things and get scared. They say, oh, we have to step in and protect you. One of the things that brought a major change in America was the events of 9-11. You know, the scare of terrorism and, uh, you know, people that are religious extremists scare the people so that they were willing to give up their liberties. And basically, I don't know how many of the ten, the First Amendments were taken away or not respected anymore. The government could arrest without a warrant. Uh, you couldn't uh, be tried without a jury. And, and basically, lots of the rights from the Bill of Rights were gone. And now the virus have done away with all the bill of the, the steel we have. Now the government can come and tell you how to worship. They can stop you from assembling together. and. Uh, the freedom of speech is also under attack. We see not even the president can speak and say his idea because they charge him or he caused the insurrection. I mean, I'm not defending the president, the outgoing president. I know people that know me, I don't vote, maybe only in the issue. But uh, on the other hand, you know, they try to incriminate just speech. There was a time in America, I don't remember what, but they said, you know, uh, the freedom of speech, it, it gives you freedom even to sp speak lies or bad things as long as you, you don't do certain things. But now they try to incriminate even if you speak something bad and somebody acts upon and kind of try to blame you for people acting like that. It's the same like in school. Oh, you go and you do something and say, oh, he told me to do that. <laughs> but there was a time in America that was not acceptable. Hey, you are a moral being. You could not excuse your this because that person told you that. But those are the times we live in. And uh, now I see clearly that one day we are going to be labeled the terrorists and the troublemakers. And I will see you, I will tell you how is the scenario. Now they make a crime even to speak against the so-called elected, you know, official and the laws they pass and so forth. And when it will happen that the government will pass a law that violate the Constitution, the Sunday law, if you speak against and tell people not to obey that law, you'll be labeled what? A, a dangerous person that speak against the rulers that are appointed and, and elected, and you have to be deal with. So we see now the scenario very clear in sight, and the path is the Congress is, is working now for a law against the so-called uh, you know, domestic terrorists, 
and it's going to be so broad that it's going to be applied to people that stand up for truth and they will speak up when the government will overstep their uh, appointed position and try to force a religion on people. And I'm afraid that the time is very close around the corner. We see, I mean, all things are in place now. We see lawlessness, we see immorality, we see hatred, crimes. And there is uh, more and more calling for us to, to do something. And we know that uh, also some others things are pushing toward a Sunday law. And well, the time will tell when things, those things will happen. We know from the prophecy that uh, America first has to renounce the principle of republicanism. That means the Bill of Rights will be done away with. And then when they will pass the Sunday law, that's the beginning of the end of America and of the world. And uh, the Bill of Rights is almost done away with. We just have to have the Sunday law, and I think will be pushed very soon. Because uh, one of the doors that they want to push the Sunday law is to global warming. And uh, we know that the new administration has a big message about that. But um, I won't tire you too much. What we know from this prophecy, when those things will happen will be brought to a test. What the Bible calls is the great trouble that will come upon the world, the great tribulation, when everyone that want to be faithful to God will, be, will see his support cut off, and then if they still remain faithful to God, they will be considered that they need to be dealt with and killed. Christ, when he talked about what we are supposed to expect, he was very honest and didn't give us false hopes. Actually, if you read, you know, when he sent his disciples in Matthew 10 to preach the gospel, he, he warned them clearly about uh, what will happen. I won't read everything. I'll just point out certain things. Uh, in chapter 10, there is the instruction that Christ gave to his disciples. And he, in verse 12, he says, uh, in verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And then he, talk, he talked about, you know, uh, preaching and that, and that there will be opposition and uh, many will be persecuted. And, uh, and three times he mentioned there, like uh, in verse 26, fear, not, fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. In verse 28, again, Christ said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In verse 31, 
Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Then he talks about God's care for, and that uh, he will uh, protect his own, and they will be safe in his hand. We, I would like to see here and try to bring a contrast about how God works and how human government works and how God does not use force to compel people to come and follow him. He will use force one time to punish the people that refuse to repent and accept Jesus Christ. But when he's coming to gaining us for him, he does not use force. And if you look at the Bible record, it's clear the way God deals with us as a people. Actually, in uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul talks about what should be the, you know, what is the, the way God brings people to back to him uh, and obedience. And uh, he points their uh, uh, principles, the way God works with uh, or verse 4, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to, to, to repentance. When you see God's character and you understand what God is, that leads you to repentance. It's not fear of punishment or some other things. That might lead you to investigate, but that should not be the foundation for your conversion and choosing to follow God. Actually, even the way God deals with idolatry, it shows that God does not use force. Because, I mean, we, if you look at the Bible examples, God does not really use force against idolatry. I was thinking one day, I saw a picture of the... St. Peter Cathedral in Rome, where the Pope is. And you know, on top they have 13 statues, humongous, 20 feet tall on top of the roof. Just sitting there at the edge, and I talked to myself, wow, uh, why God doesn't just show a thunder and knocks them all out? <laughs> Will be pretty easy for him. But God does not work as we think God works. And uh, he won't come and knock down idols if people choose to have. He'll come and point them. Don't worship those. It's going to affect your spiritual life and that. But he will not come and knock it down. It happened one time, maybe when God, in a sense of humor, had a kind of a fight with an idol, so-called. You know, the story when they took the Ark of the Israelites and uh, the, the Philistine brought it to their you know, temple, and God was put there among the other uh, idols they were worshiping. And one day they came and they find the god, Dagon, the fish god, on the floor, fallen. And they say, Oh, what happened? <laughs> they didn't think anything. Oh, it just happened. They put it back. And then the next day they come and they find the pole out. And then they realize maybe, oh, and of course, then God starts punishing them because. They did certain things and look in the ark, and then they figure out this God of uh, the Israelites is real, and we uh, we see that he's uh, 
But in a way, kind of God working the back, you couldn't really say that was God working. It just happened that way. But then when things start multiplying, they show. Yeah, it's God because now we start suffering. We had all kind of problems and they decided to send back. But even when they sent back, they were not sure if God was punishing them or just happened. And they put a test. If we are going to see you know, the car going this way, then we will know. And of course, the, God, uh, the cart went in that way, and then they realized. So God does not use force and power to win our religions. Actually, the spirit of prophecy very nice describes it in the, uh, in the desire of ages. The work that Christ came to do and uh, it sets up a principle about how God works. I'd just like to read a paragraph here from page 22. And it t- tells here that the earth was dark through misapprehensions of God, that the gloomy shadows might be lightened, that the world might be brought back to God, Satan's deceptive power must be broken. This could not be done by force. The exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. He desires only the service of love. And love cannot be commanded. It can not be won by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love him. His character must be manifested in contrast to the character of Satan. This work only one being in all the universe could do. Only he who knew the height and depth of the love of God could make it known. Upon the world's dark night, the Son of Righteousness must rise with healing in his wings. Very nice description of the work of Christ. And describes here the principles of God's government. No force. Just reason. But people that are converted, they see that everything that God asks us is for our good. Actually, this is the problem. When you use force, you might compel people to do certain things. But they are not doing it necessarily from the heart, but from a legalist point of view just not to be punished or suffer some, and that's not going to work in obeying God. We have to kind of uh, see that what God asks us and accept it and do it from the heart. That's how it will work. That's why I'm in a kind of political sense. I believe the government should be restrained or limited because the government uses force to compel people. And you cannot do that much for, by force. That's why it will be better if the government will just leave us alone and let us use our reasoning. But the government now is mingling everything that we do, even in this health-taking uh, decision. And they were forced on us one day to be injected with something that maybe we don't want. And that's going to be a a very hard decision for everyone to make. 
My take is this one. Uh, how will you respond when somebody will try to force you to, and not to obey God? And if you are ready to, uh, to suffer reproach and shame for Christ's name, how will we react and how can we hope that we will be stay faithful? We know that Satan, when somebody decides to follow Christ, he will try to attack him. Certain ways, different ways, every way possible, he will try to de- restrain him from following Christ. He might use friends to draw you back in your own lifestyle. He will try to give you wrong ideas, wrong uh, that. But if he has no success, then he will use force and try to compel you that way. That's what uh, Ellen White talks in in the book Great Controversy. And he talks here about Satan and the way he works and talks here about uh, Satan's uh, persecuting the Christians. And uh, she said in Great Controversy, page 611, persecution in its varied forms is the development of a principle which exists as long as Satan exists and Christianity has vital power. No man can serve God without enlisting against himself the opposition of the host of darkness. Evil angels will assail him, alarmed that his influence is taking the prey from their hands. Evil men, rebuked by his example, will unite with them in seeking to separate him from God by alluring temptation. When this do not succeed, then a compelling power is employed to force the conscious. So Satan, if he does not succeed in drawing uh, away from God, using different, he will try to use force. Actually, Christ had warned us about, and he told us clearly, we will be hated and persecuted by all the world. That will be the greatest. How will we respond to that? And how can we we stand faithful when we will face our greatest fear? I will say the only way is if we have something greater than the fear of death, and that's love for Christ and God. We have to know him, and we have to decide in our hearts And uh, we have to trust him that he'll give us power to be faithful to him when we'll see the possibility that that means that if we are faithful. In the Bible, it talks here about people that trust in God. A very nice psalm, I think, that we should try to read it more often is, is Psalm 91, where there are promises that God made about all those that commit their lives to God. And it's very kind of time, uh, the time we live, that we need certain assurances. I'll just read a few verses from Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, not for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasted at noonday. We see here nice, beautiful promises. But I like this. Uh, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So God, you'll be behind God. He will stand in front of you. When you are under his shadow, he will interpose between you and your enemies. That's a promise we have to trust. And also, of course, there are other promises about Christ, about even if you lose your life for my sake, you will gain it. And we like it or not, but we will have, all the world will have to face that and test. It's kind of the final exam. We prepare, we came to church. But one day we will face it, and hopefully we are prepared and pass it uh, with Christ's help. A good uh, things to prepare for that is to read some of the history of the people that were faithful to him and face that rather than not being faithful to God. So I recommend you maybe if you have enough stamina to read the life of the martyrs and how they uh, they could face that. Actually, if you look in the in the records of the Bible and. Uh, the history, the way the fa people faithful to Christ was a powerful witness that converted many people. And Satan saw that he's losing <laughs> by killing the Christian and he changed his tactics. I mean, you read there, people converted, like uh, Calvin. He saw the way somebody was killed and that impressed him so much about those people facing that and not fearing that brought to him a conversion and he became a Christian. And uh, the same thing, uh, it's all over the place. You know, when you see that the faith is real and people are faithful to God, it's a very powerful witness. It's more than just lip service, it's a lived religion. And I think that's what the world needs. And I just uh, hope and pray that when the test will come, we will trust that Christ will sustain us. And uh, basically uh, what I do believe is uh, the fact that uh, we like it or not, there will be lots of questioning about and fears. But I think Christ can give us the power to overcome these fears. And uh, we see the world now controlled by fears. The change in the world now is a very somber. Honestly, I don't enjoy going shopping. 
anymore. Where I see old people with their face cover, I don't really enjoy that. You know, when you speak with people and you just see their eyes, try to guess their, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's not really enjoyable. You cannot travel anymore and enjoy it. I mean, there are certain places yet where you cannot. And it seems like uh, it's going to take a while, things might go back to normal. For me, I believe that it's very possible that this will go on through, through the time of trouble. Because all things are in place. My prayer is that uh, when the test will come, we will trust God. And our love for him will be stronger than the fear of death. And I believe that Christ can help us to through go these hard times that uh, I think are ahead of us. And we know that angels will have a very important work. And uh, we will see uh, God's hands be wo- hand at work in ways that we, we never imagined. I think that that's what, and this is the sermon for myself also, we maybe try to look more on those promises of God and angels and not maybe look at that much of the dark side about all the plans that Satan and his allies are working and trust that God will, uh, will work as he promised and uh, I think uh, when we commit our souls to Christ and we are hidden him we will be just okay because uh, if you have Christ you have it all. My prayer is that uh, we'll have a strong faith because that's what will help us to to face uh, the perspective of persecution. Amen. Thank you, Brother Nick. You know, you do hear that word fundamentalist a lot now, don't you, in, uh, in the news, in the papacy, and in the world. So a fundamentalist is a person, if you're not aware, is a person who believes solely in God's word. And this remnant church is solely believing in this word, don't we? Soul of scripture is our motto, and we're going to stick with it to the end. Amen? Let's close with our closing hymn. Um, where do we have it here? Close to him once to every man and nation that's found in your hymnal 606, and when you find it, shall we stand?
our Father in heaven. We are thankful for uh, the Sabbath day and for the freedom which we still have. We know from the prophecy that that might not be the case for a long time. And I'll pray that we will trust your promise that you made. I'll keep you from the hour of temptation that will come upon all the world. Help us to trust in that promise and commit our life to you in the times ahead that might bring the final events. All this in Jesus' name I ask. Amen.